0: This podcast is called cool. Slow Reader. I Thanks, kids. This is a podcast about books, reading, listening, creating, and enjoying them. No prior knowledge is needed, no level of education required. If you're interested in the literary world, come with me, Jasper Peach, while I draw back the velvet curtain and have some informal chats with people who are part of the biz. I'm a slow reader. I have some pretty funky brain fog going on, and I love books. It takes me a while to read them, and I mostly listen to them, so I wanted to make a podcast that reflects all types of participation in the enjoyment of literature. Slow Reader is recorded and produced on unceded, stolen, Jar Jar Warren country. Welcome to Slow Reader. I'm Jasper Peach, and I'm here on stolen, unceded Jaja Warren country, where I live and work and raise my children. I do my best in every way to decolonise their existence and show them that we live with respect for the First Nations people who the land rightfully belongs to. So I hope that wherever you're listening, that you're mindful of the earth beneath you and its origins. My guest today has been on my radar for many years through beautifully crafted word tapestries under their Instagram posts, uh, published articles popping up more frequently as time went on. And now with her book, Nothing But My Body, this person has given us such a gift. Tilly Lawless, welcome. Thanks for talking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. And I loved, I actually love that intro.
1: Um, I should also say I'm speaking on um, Wangle Land yeah,
0: yeah thank <laughs> Thanks you for coming. thank you um so it's kind of hard nice to know where to begin with <laughs> this conversation I I listened to the book um as I went for my little walks every day and I'd send I'd stop and I'd send myself a little email and i just add to the email this big long list of family queer stuff sex <laughs> and then I looked at it this morning and I was like what does this mean? I need actual like flesh out. <laughs> so I'm not just going to throw things at you. But um, I, I wondered if I could give you a brief summary of my perspective of the book You mm. tell me if I'm on the money or not, yeah? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this is a, it's a memoir about your life as a queer person, a sex worker, a writer, a future parent, and there are all these beautiful themes of place, um, pandemic work stability, race, sexuality, heartbreak, Oh, consent and chosen family and the climate crisis is in there. Your big heart is on every page. Um, Is that, have I left anything out? That's a really
1: good summary, except I don't call it a memoir just because it's not Mm. entirely true. Like it is, Ah. it is. Like I would say 80% of it is true and like it, it is my life woven into a thing, but I've, I've changed things and I've taken things from some friends' lives with their permission and I've just, just to make yeah. the, because I wanted each part to have its own um, distinct sort of feeling and emotion, I've like switched, like brought untrue things in to strengthen some of those parts. So it's mm. yeah, not all strictly real, but the majority of it is. Yeah,
0: because I I wasn't sure if it was a memoir when I started listening to it, and then about thirty percent of the way, I'm like, oh, this is Chilly's story, is it? I don't, well, I'm just going to go with that it is. You know? <laughs> but,
1: yeah, yeah. Well,
0: it's like it yeah. mostly is, and like I,
1: I kind of am happy for people to interpret it as memoir or happy for them to think it's fiction because it is a mix mm. of both. So you know, yeah, that's very isn't much it? I. Yeah, it's very much up to the reader's interpretation for me. And I like that yeah. people bring their own life to it and interpret bits as real and bits as not real according to their own lives. So yeah. Yes, yeah. that it's
0: yeah. such a great thing about making art that each person who, who perceives it, it's just like they're bouncing off a mirror. Yes, and, exactly. And oh, there was so much of it that I was just like, yes, thank you for putting that into words. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, so what is your practice with writing? How did this book become a
1: book? I've written since I was a kid and I've always used it kind of as a catharsis. And as we, you know, I used to write just in notebooks as a child and then it moved to a laptop. And then as we moved into sort of like the iPhone era, I've always taken notes on my mm. phone. And like if I've been feeling particularly emotionally distressed, I'll often just sit down and write it out. And I guess I started using my Instagram as a diary like that. I had tried to write books in the past um, in my teens, for example, but I'd mm-hmm. always failed to write a um, a whole book because I'd always tried to write a book with a traditional structure and I just mm-hmm. I couldn't complete them. You yeah. know? And <laughs> it actually wasn't till um, beginning of 2020 that like I started being like, oh, why don't I go with my strengths, you know, and like it, it didn't occur to me sort of to sort of play with the. I guess because I hadn't written a book before, it didn't occur me to occur to me to play with a novel structure for my first book. Yeah. Um. But once I once I thought of that, I was like, oh, well, I should, you know, my strengths are obviously sort of like writing with like emotional immediacy and writing first person and present tense. And I was like, okay, well, I should go with something that um that works with that. And then I thought of um. Virginia Woolf's Mrs Dalloway which you know does a woman's um train of thoughts across one day and I was like oh why didn't I do that but I choose a bunch of days and shows the show the way that like um there's sort of like an interplay between your external world and internal world when things are happening around you but also your mental state is different each time yeah Mm. and I wrote it in Wrote it in the lockdown last year, the first lockdown, Sydney's first lockdown.
0: <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Gosh, what a time. And yeah. I'm, I'm really ungrateful that you you use that as part of your coping strategy because that became part of mine to listen to your book. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice how you just sort of pass these things around. Um, do you have your book there? Would you be able to share a passage with us?
1: Oh, yeah, I have my book here and I do have... I can share, sorry, I should have marked the page. (laughs) All right. Okay, perfect. Okay, here we go. When I have a week off work because of thrush, with no money coming in and desperate to be well again, I'm reminded that I'm like an athlete, relying on my body being working fit. When I squat at a man's groin that stinks of stale urine, grateful for the latex separating his genitals from my mouth, I'm reminded that I'm like a nurse, paid to be intimate with bodies in ways I don't want to be. When I struggle to keep my pose and moan as a client drops his entire weight onto my back and doggy, and I position myself to seem as if I'm backing onto his cock while protecting my low slung cervix from a bruising, I'm reminded that I'm like a performer, hazarding strain to my body while creating an aesthetic visual. When I listen to a man cry about his life because it's less stigmatized and emasculating for him to see a prostitute than a psych, I'm reminded that I'm like a therapist. When I smile instead of cringe at something a client says, I'm reminded that I'm like someone in customer service, there to respond politely, not to assert my own beliefs. When I coddle a drunken man at midnight, fetching him water and helping him dress, I'm reminded that I'm like a babysitter. When I soothe a bickering couple, manage to make them forget their friction and enjoy something together, I'm reminded that I'm like a diplomat or hostess, all tact and solicitousness. When I handle a fractious man, get him to relax and calm and guide him gently into conversation, I'm reminded that I'm like an actor doing the hardest improvisation ever, responding to unconscious cues and crafting a finished product and experience. When I wash cum off my fingers, which had curved protectively protectively over my cunt to shield it from the spray as I feigned masturbating while a client jerked off over me, I'm reminded that my work is quite similar to so many things, but not quite any of them, and it doesn't need a euphemism. I am just a whore, and I'm okay with that. Okay.
0: Amazing, that that really ties in with one of my questions. I, oh, I yeah, um, I remember I was listening to the part about you had a private booking and the client saying he wanted to hang out with friends, but he respected you too much to pay for your time in that context, mm-hmm. and I nearly drove into a tree. <laughs> so I was "Fucking I mean, guy, the, um, so disrespectful!" And the parts in the book about sex work they really zero in on on the different settings for this profession and different roles that sex workers have mm. um you know that people just often need someone to hold them or listen to them or let them grieve and and explore sex in that way and that there's this perceived hierarchy of some sex mm. workers being more classy than others and how that's bullshit and we're all just humans doing mm. our best and these are things I I kind of I feel like I kind of knew, but it was it was really special to have them just laid out in this gorgeous um, poetic context. But I really hope that people with these preconceived ideas read this book and learn how little they actually fucking know. Mm. Like, do you, do you yeah, think that's yeah. going to happen? Do you think there's, these people will read I mean, this I book? definitely
1: have people message me who say, like, I had such fucked views on sex work and it's reading your work that has made me like reassess um all my um prejudices around it so like it definitely and that's like part of the reason why I write is to change people's attitudes um and assumptions about things so yeah it does it does definitely happen but of course like I feel like we're kind of in like a little bit of a um open-minded pocket sometimes in in Australia and especially like in Australia's queer community because like yeah we have decriminalization in New South Wales but it's one of only four places in the world with decriminalization you know like Mm. the Northern Territory, New Zealand, New South Wales and Victoria is going to get in the next few years and it's Mm. like nowhere else in the world has it so we are like it's like I'm like oh wonderful I'm changing some people's views but it's like it's like a drop in the bucket yeah (laughs) of like the
0: world and it's Um, so so strange that's such a strange thing I didn't know it was only in four places that so it's been yeah it's a wild difficult. there are other places that have a legalization
1: model but like yeah. there are most places in the world it's criminalized but like I will say the criminalization like um laws have often been a part of uh colonization yeah. like often countries haven't had um anti-sex work laws till um America's colonized them or till the UK has colonized them and have brought those laws in
0: mm. and yeah Another yeah, harmful let's... binary view, yeah. This so yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> this, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't want to say like
1: the world is at fault for that. Like, I think like colonization mm. is like a very large part of, of a very large part of it.
0: Yeah. Pretty much of everything that's wrong. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, you said I last night we launched the disabilities. Um, edition of Archer magazine, which mm. I know you have done oh, some writing. Yes, I saw it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I actually have seen some um posts about the disability issue. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's
0: it. It was yeah. such a it was such a beautiful thing. I've just been like hiding under my bed during COVID. I've got I've got um, all sorts of comorbidities that mean mm. it's pretty hectic if I get this thing. Um so I'm very very I'm very picky about when I actually leave the house now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You I haven't like been I like yeah, I haven't been yeah. in a group of people. I don't even know. I don't remember, the last time I was, um, and it just that feeling of belonging, like this. Yeah. Oh, no one's going to be turfy or swirfy or entitled or ableist, or you know, you can just let your guard down. Um, yeah. And you write a lot in the book about the love you have with your friends, with your yeah. your queer family. How have they responded to this book?
1: Oh, my friends have loved it because, like, it really is, uh, I mean, I say it in one line in it that this is a love letter to friendship, but my friends have, it, I think it's also been interesting for a lot of them because my close friends know which bits are true and which bits which bits aren't, so they can yeah. see, they, like, they feel like they're reading it with a whole um a whole other perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they'll message me and be like, oh my God, I see that bit that you took from blah blah's life. And that's so <laughs> funny that you put that in there and you know what I mean. And or they'll be like, oh my God, I remember us having that trip together. And so like there's a it's it's a real record of like a life that we've lived together. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think they've felt well they've said to me that they've felt like actually just so privileged to have that other sort of insight on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really yeah, I'm really glad that I've I've I'm really glad that all my friends and friends that maybe, you know, because some friendships drift and I don't necessarily yeah. think that's a bad thing. Like some friendship isn't valuable based on the longevity. It's like mm. valuable for what it brings you in that time. So some of the friends mm. that I'm close with now I may not be close with in 20 years. But like I still think it's really wonderful that they would be able to look back on this and be like, oh, we did have a wonderful time together at that yeah. time. And like it was it was precious for what it was, and it doesn't matter if it hasn't continued, you know? Mm. Um Yeah, I'm thinking of that a lot, actually, because I feel like as you get into your late 20s, you do have some friendships that you made in your um, childhood or teens that do drift because you, I feel like your 20s is like such a period of growth and working out your values and like what you want in your future. And like, um, and I have been drifting. It's interesting because like, I feel like in your early 20s, you're all sort of like partying and stuff. And like, and then as you get to your late 20s, people either go real traditional um or for me I'm getting more and more I feel like people might use the word radical but I'm getting more and more radical in my beliefs the older I'm getting and so Mm. I'm 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 splitting with with some friends that we used to you know be very aligned with
0: um yeah yeah. but sorry that was such a um, no that's where the gold (laughs) is the meandering is where the gold is always I I think I think also um being in a pandemic has put pressure on on relationships as well all Mm. kinds of relationships whether it's friendships or genetic family or chosen family or even within communities you know there's oh there's there's people um who are really angry and judgmental and there are people who are um at risk so it has this whole other bearing and then there are people who are just kind of that's it's it's just a flu you know um and we're all just being squeezed to to pick where we're at yeah and and it's just exploded out of all of us at funny times I've had I've had like a a friendship end that I was not expecting to end because Mm -hmm. we just had different um viewpoints about boundaries so you know but and we but I recognize we both felt so pushed so pushed to Step outside of what felt safe for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Totally. And it's yeah. not about either person being right or wrong. It's no. just like a, a slight difference in values or a slight different in um,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so I talk a lot about accessibility of literature on this podcast, and just to anyone who listen. Um, but like I, like I've been saying, I absorbed a book through the audio version, uh, which you recorded and your voice it's really familiar through seeing you online over the years and it felt like felt like you were confiding in me and we're now best friends um uh, it was really wonderful company in some some pretty lonely times have you what's it like having I mean I know that you you write pretty openly about your experiences but it's a whole thing to have a book out right about that's partly about your life. Have you had people be overly familiar, or is it kind of nice that people know?
1: I feel more. like I there hasn't been a distinct change for me in the book coming out. Versus, yeah. I already had people being overly familiar. With people <laughs> yeah, people would read right. my Instagram and feel like they were friends with me, and like I, I love people approaching me and saying like I love your writing and stuff like that. But sometimes you do have people approach you in a way that's like definitely inappropriate. Mm. <laughs> um, but like. Yeah. Um and I, I learned this phrase for it recently and maybe you know it, but like a friend taught me it parasocial relationships. Nice. When, so that's when people interact with someone. It's when it's a one-way relationship. So it's when someone for example I could be watching a lot of reality tv and feel like I really know Kim Kardashian yes. and, like, we're actually really close and I know her better than anyone else and like I would begin to comment on her photos like being like oh my god Kim you look so good in this like talking to her in a way or like you know and so a parasocial relationship is when someone appears in media in some way so whether that's like on social media or on reality tv or on the television actually my friend used it in reference to Gladys and she was like oh. I feel it when Gladys because we all watch those presses Every day she was like, I think we're all in a parasocial relationship with Gladys, you know, like we all think we know her. And um, so yeah, I definitely have people who 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 think they know me and who behave to me as if we're friends and sort of forget about sort of normal boundaries or etiquette. Um and Most of the time, most of the time it's like completely unthreatening and it's like fine, Mm. Um, but sometimes it does, it does get a little bit uncomfortable. But I haven't noticed any more with my book than with online because I don't think people get parasocial relationships from authors that they're reading. Really? I don't, yeah, I, don't right. know so because I think when you're reading a book, you're aware that it's sort of, there's a slight construct and you also yeah. don't feel like the person is speaking directly to you because there's a publisher involved and things like that. Whereas when you go on someone's Instagram and you see their post, you really, and you're mm. interacting with them in the same way you would a friend, I think there's like a different, um, a different relationship there. Yeah. Um and the person is also right in your phone that you're carrying with you all the time. Yeah, so your, I've just your pocket friend in,
0: in your yeah, phone. Yeah, yes.
1: exactly. So I have noticed I get weirder interactions with people from online than anything I've had from
0: my book. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I had a number of years where I lived in, in a city Melbourne and I, I would dread walking down the street because I, I had a few jobs where a lot of people would clock me, but I didn't know who yes. anyone was. Um, like a lot of. I, I used to be in marriage celebrant and I did a bit of radio oh, stuff okay. yep, yep, so yep. and at a wedding I'm just I'm just focused on the job so I might of meet course. 50 people and I don't remember anyone's name it's terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. um and I would just be like oh no oh no do I know this person and just feel like I don't want to be an asshole and be like who are you um you <laughs> know anyway. um but you just sort of I don't know I've made these little things like oh it's good to see you not good to meet you, in case you've already yeah, met yeah. her. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I always say babe. Ah. I say babe now. I'm like, hey, babe. Like, <laughs> I don't know
0: your name. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, what is your literary consumption like? Are you a paper book? There's lots of books behind you in your bookcase. Yeah, I
1: read. I See, I read. I love to read in hard mm. form Largely because I actually get a headache if I'm reading on a screen. Mm. Um so I'd always prefer hard copy, but also I just love the smell of books. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much solely, solely how I read.
0: Yeah. Mm, I think um, yeah, I when I was little, my mom told me in this terrible foreshadowing, this is in the early 80s, mm. I was surrounded by all my books. I love my books and um and she said, "Do you know that when you're a grown-up, all the books will be gone, and they'll be on a little computer? I don't know how my mother knew this, and I cried for an hour. I'm like, my, mother, my books, my books, I love. And I still have some of those books, and I will not let them go. But I also get a headache, and I think the smell of the book eradicates the headache. It's the whole thing." yeah yeah oh my god that's really yeah it's a tactile thing um and it's kind of like how a lot of music has become online streaming now I think Mm. it's really good if you like because I I I can't really consume books on paper very often because unless it's poetry poetry will make sense to me um but because of my brain fog that comes with chronic pain it just looks like soup. Like <laughs> I look at it in yeah, all yeah. Yeah. the words together. Yeah. yeah. But if I have loved an audiobook, I want I want a copy of it on my bookshelf. Yeah. So I can look at it and go, "It's oh, my little friend in my book over there. Yeah, because it's, nice yeah. the phys- it's nice to
1: have a physical copy, as you said. Same with music. Yeah. I think like a lot of mm. people, or well, not a lot, but there is a slight return to um vinyl and stuff these days. Yeah. people need having that physical thing. And oh, actually I remember so cool. reading an interview with um, Seth Rogan that actor who I've recently got yes. more into because he's like, sort of like criticized Israel and things like that as a Jewish man. Mm. And I've been like, Oh, I can actually like align with some of your politics. Mm. um. But he like started making those vases in um, lockdown. And I read this interview with him and he said, part of the reason he made those vases was or vases i don't know how to say vases vases um was because fil- he does so much film but film you, you used to get dvds of film but now everything is on a computer so mm. you no longer have a physical copy and he said i just want to have something physical that i've made because yes. film is no longer something physical i can hold and i was like oh i so get that like
0: yeah um, yeah, the, that human urge to have something tactile that you can just hold on to There's- not not to bang on about myself, but but holding that copy of Archer yesterday mm. that we have worked and worked and worked and worked on and it's been an exquisite experience to put this together. And I'm just, I just can't think of, oh, my gosh, so many people are going to hold this in their, in their yeah. hands, in their arms, and they're going to feel the weight of it. And, and, it's, and my wife says to me, oh, it's nice quality paper too. It's classy. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's classy. Um, and there's something about I don't know it feels like the world's going going to shit but we can have our art and we can we can hold our vases and we can hold our book and our you know these things yeah. matter they they matter so much more than they 100%. Have, I think 100%. um so I'm I'm writing a book about queer parenting and it's sort of um advice but not so much advice because I don't really like to give advice unless someone's asked me, <laughs> um, but encouragement, I guess, for queer families of all kinds. Um, because I, I don't know, like I, I just think about if I had seen a family like mine when I was yeah. growing up, I would never have had all this internalised discrepancy about what was possible and what was loving and what was beautiful. Um, I loved when in, in your book, when you are writing about your potential future children, your yearning to birth a child and what that looks like um the life that isn't necessarily cookie cutter heteronormative mm. experience um, could you tell us about your imaginings around what your future family might look like
1: oh so it's so interesting that you ask this because like before the before the pandemic I was so I still really want to have children but before the pandemic I felt like almost this like like uncontrollable impatience like Mm. i was like i need to get pregnant asap (laughs) like i was like that was that was all i kind of like i felt like to also like fulfill fulfill my life and um since the pandemic because of like not being able to see friends and not being able to travel and stuff. I'm now like the real priority of my life right now is to like go and see friends overseas that I haven't been able to see. And like having children has been pushed down a bit because of that. I mean, I feel like we all kind of felt feel like we lost like time and years with friends. Um, so now it's like, and also I'm only 28. So I have, I have some time, oh, yeah. to, you know, I very got so much got time, time to like, to work it out, but those, it's almost like I've put not only the plans to have children hold but i no longer live in those dreams like i was oh. before the pandemic like it's like it, it's just no longer such an active part of my life because i've been like okay i'll think about that in a few years you know mm-hmm. um but when i was thinking about it really actively um i so i have a number of i very much you know they've done studies of kids that come from sperm donation and like children have a better sense of like confidence and self-esteem and all those kind of things when the sperm donor is someone who's like known to the family and sort of a part of their life so it has always been really important to me that the sperm donor would be a, a friend you know and I do have like a number of gay guy friends who've been like oh yeah I'll give you my sperm and so I, I, I like actually joke with my friends it, but it's actually not really a joke that I like yes. do have a list of like I do like actually have a list of like the people and yeah. I'm okay pros of this person like cons of this person and like generally it's not genetic pros or cons it's like oh they live in the same state as me or like they have a they have a um, international passport and if climate change wars happen it's good if my child has an international passport like it's like it's like it's like shit like that or like or they speak another language and it would be good for my child to be raised learning to speak another language so it's like Mm. all all those sorts of things um rather than because I'm not I don't really care like about what my child looks like I care about being able to give my child a good life so it's the kind mm. of like pragmatic stuff that like I'm really looking into um and yeah so I've always I've always envisioned it well, not always. There have been partners in the past that I've wanted to have a child with. um, But even then, they have not been cis men. So we would have had to go the sperm donor route anyway. Mm. Um, but I've always envisioned um, the sperm donor. I haven't wanted to do it through a clinic. Like I very much want to do the like... Um, um DYI way you know like when yeah. they're in the next room and they masturbate and like that that kind of vibe you know what I mean yeah <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> And I have had friends who've you know successfully fallen pregnant that way so I know it's possible yeah. um and especially possible if you're you know um don't have any uh fertility issues um but yeah I've always wanted someone to be a part of my life I've basically like joked with gay guy friends where I've been like I want you to be the absent father that anyone else would <laughs> complain about but like I just want you to like show up every second weekend and take the child yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. I'm like I want to do the core work like
0: yeah you I take like, them for ice cream
1: yeah yeah exactly take them totally. for ice cream take them yeah. for ice cream you know I'm like be the absent father of straight women's nightmares you know <laughs> that's that's what I want like...
0: <laughs> well um it's I loved what you were saying about the pragmatic um parts about giving your child a good life what does yeah. that what does that look like to you what's a good life
1: I mean I think I noticed the things that
0: I didn't have in life
1: and wish I wish I'd um, had so like language is a, is a big one of them like one of the yeah. only things that I feel inadequate about in life is that I didn't grow up speaking another language I think that's it's so much easier to learn another language as a child and it's yeah. it makes your mind think in a different way so like that's why I like do my friends who speak multiple languages the higher up the <laughs> <laughs> higher up the list Um, but also like yeah financial stability like is really like I you know my family was like fairly stable through my like my really early years but then from the age of about nine onwards it all disintegrated and through my teens we were really not well off like we were the whole family was on welfare and like I have definitely carried the the stress and sort of like you know feeling responsible for both yeah. my father and my brother financially through my yeah. teens and my and my 20s you know mm. um because there have been points where i have been the one who's been earning the most in the family and has had to lend money to both of them and like i definitely want to be in a scenario where my child does not have to worry about me like i don't i don't yeah. think a child would have to worry about their parents financial situation yeah. um and worry about their parents old age um and yeah so those those are the kind of um like pragmatic things to me and then to be honest on another pragmatic level like one of my friends you know is so like such a wonderful friend but he's so pale and I'm like can I actually bring a really really because I'm like really tense I'm like isn't it a bit cruel to bring a really pale child into Australia with a hole in the ozone layer and like and like you know it's getting hotter every year yeah. and like I look at him and I'm like he's so beautiful but he has to fucking like and he's, you know, so smart and wonderful but he has to put on sunscreen just to step outside the house and he has I to, get, you know, wear I'm it and the it at the beach. Yeah. yeah. I guess, <laughs> I
0: get, if I go hang out a towel in the washing line, I'm burned. It's just I'm, I can't, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm just walking around with my parasol. Yeah, it's okay, a so whole so thing. Exactly Yeah. what he's
1: like and I'm like, is that a little bit unfair to bring a child like that into a country like <laughs> Australia, you know? So, I feel like, um, but then also, like I also I, to be honest, if I'm having a child by myself, I would only want a white donor just because I don't feel comfortable raising a mixed race child when my experience in the world has been as a white person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like obviously, if I had a if I had a partner, if I ended up having kids with a partner and they weren't white, like of course, I would be happy to have a child that like reflected both of us, but by myself. I also am a bit uncomfortable with the way that white women often like fetishize having a mixed race. Babies. So for yeah. me, I'm like, if it's myself, it. I think
0: it probably needs to be a white donor. Yeah. um Yeah. You put a lot of thought into the experience of your child. It's really, and not everyone does that. Not everyone. Yeah. Well,
1: will think. I also. Like no, definitely. I mean, I also I'm aware. Like, look, I was an accident. My like, my mom felt me. Pregnant with me accidentally yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but my mom very much took that out on me in life. Oh, like no. she. Was you know often would comment on her career being derailed by me and blamed like a lot. So for me, I'm always like, you should not have children unless you actually want to have children. You know, your child shouldn't feel that they are a burden in your life. So yeah, I I do think about it
0: like it a lot. Yeah, yeah (laughs) Yeah, i I I haven't had that exact experience, but i I never not I never had the experience of not knowing that I was a surprise um mm-hmm. which is clearly a whoopsie-daisy um yeah. <laughs> and it's it's pretty unusual for queer people to have whoopsie-daisy babies Yes, um, yeah yeah i mean i mean it happens it's not um it's not that uh, people who are queer don't have the generals that line up there's there's a lot of queer people that have the generals that line up and the body parts that line up to make a baby without any fertility assistance um or reproductive technology but they're is a, there are a vast majority of these babies that are being brought in after exactly what you're doing a lot of thought a lot of planning consideration mm-hmm. um and waiting for the right time in in our lives as well make making sure we've got as much foundation as we can and gosh that's it I see it in my kids they're two and four and they have such strong sense of self they're really yeah, they're really amazing. secure They know that they're loved, they know that they're safe, they know they're wanted, um, and they know they've got responsibilities and all that kind of stuff too. But, um, oh, they are strong, strong children, you know, and that's, yeah, that's that's a little bit different to my experience. It's really, I'm really... I'm really excited to give that to them, you know, or to be a part of what's created that. I and love then, that you're writing a book about all that. It's great. Oh, it's so, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And I'm trying to cover as many of the diverse experiences mm. within a community of a marginalised minority as, as I can. So where I don't have lived experience, like I talked to my friend Dan who he and he's um cis male partner had their baby through working with a surrogate in Canada um mm. and a queer friend of mine um happens to be she's a cis woman she happens to be with a, a cis man now but when she felt pregnant she was solo pregnant by choice and everyone's like mm. oh who's the dad and it's just this erasure that happens yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. She, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting topic and I'm just oh I hope I can do it justice but um yeah I'm really uh, this book doesn't exist and I really needed this book five years ago yeah, yeah, so it's, really- it's a it's a beautiful project to be working on um how how are things going for you now in the midst of summer number two of COVID yeah I how mean are you? to be honest I'm pretty good like I mean obviously like I feel like it's
1: right now was like i feel like we're i'm just, as i said i'm so glad i got my booster today because i feel like all mm. of us are a little bit on edge with the sort of like rising cases and omicron and stuff and like i'm obviously still working in a brothel so i'm very aware of the fact that i come in contact with a lot of people yeah. um and a lot of people who you know are probably going home to their families and kids and also are maybe immunocompromised my, themselves and like i just wouldn't know like and just yeah. so i really want to be as like protected as possible like not just for me but for my clients because mm. uh, I do see a lot of elderly men as well um but yeah I'm really good like it's I'm obviously it, I'm just so busy with work <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's really this is a busy part of the year always for sex work like leading up to um new years and then January it kind of drops off it's very much the same as hospitality
0: yeah right like,
1: yeah end of the oh, year is busy seasonal. people yeah. have having- yeah it's very seasonal very mm. seasonal so I'm just making as much money as I can to make up for the four months of lockdown. And I'm yeah, really, really enjoying life. I'm on pause at the moment with writing. Um, Not because I don't want to be writing, but just because I am so focused on sex work and money-making at the moment. And also because I've kind of, I did start writing a new book and then I felt like I needed to allow it to be a chrysalis in my mind for a bit longer Mm. and to um, really, because I'm always like impatient with things. I'm like, I want to write it now, you know, and I realized I actually just needed it emotionally, like to process a little bit more and write it. When it was kind of when I was like raring to go, you know, like yeah. when it had built within me. So like I'm kind of oh, excited. To like- it's it's like yeah. a
0: baby. It's oh my gosh, because they, yeah. you just when you're pregnant, you're just like I just need it out. But sometimes yeah. the the baby's got other ideas, and the stories are the same. Like you got to let it marinate. It's so annoying because you just yeah, want to do,
1: do it. Well it good. Exactly. Yeah. Cooked
0: yeah. till they're all juicy and. Oh, man, I every wedding I wrote for 15 years of being a celebrant, it was almost like I just couldn't, I'd sit down and like, what well, I'm going to write it today, I'm going to write this ceremony today, and nothing yeah. would come, and I was just like word constipated, but then I'd wake up four in the morning, three days out. yep, out it comes because it was cooked ready to yeah, go totally that's exactly
1: no it's exactly yeah. what you got to do so yeah it's cooking now and i'm like in the new year once i calm yeah. down with work
0: as well yeah yeah but
1: yeah. no I'm, I'm good yeah that's
0: great and is that that sort of money-making season it's such a it's such a um seasonal worker thing like it's been the same for mm. me working in weddings there's the feast and the famine um oh is yeah that- when would
1: it the busiest time for weddings summertime?
0: Uh, summertime, it's basically from, from spring through till the end of autumn and then winter, okay, it's, yeah. it's dead, yeah. but then you have your meetings and get your deposits and all that kind of stuff then. Yeah. Um, but it's just when the sun the sun's shining and the birds are singing and the bees are buzzing, you know, <laughs> it's just, yes, that's do. the happy time for love festivals. Um, but is your kind of focus on your work now, is that really good for your sense of stability after Oh, yeah, because I felt like
1: obviously like those four months of not being able to work, like I was just, I mean, yes, I could get on Centrelink, but Centrelink is nowhere near, like compared to what you make, you know what I mean? So
0: um, so I was very impressed.
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was really stressed about money through that time. So that's why it's making me feel like a squirrel, you know, yeah, like getting all squirrel nutcracker, putting, yeah. putting it aside. So like, yeah, I am, I am feeling great, working a lot. Like even though it's tiring me
0: out, it's like money, money, money. Like yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And how do you how do you sort of take care of yourself during this time? Do you, have you got sort of good rest practice? And- oh and like yeah, that? I mean I. I
1: swim a lot I mean obviously the weather's been kind of shit but I did manage to get I think three days in last week there were a few sunny days Mm. um and I think this week we've got a few good days as well so yeah I swim a lot I read a lot I horse ride um yeah so I do I do make like I have learned after you know it's been over eight years of doing this work and like I have learned that like I don't you know as much as you would love to imagine that you can just work constantly like you obviously can't like your body or your Mm. mind way and so I really have learned my capacity now and I know I can hit about three days a week is perfect like three shifts a week and after that I need like time to myself Mm. um otherwise yeah so I do I do get a lot of time for myself to read and things like that which is great all right um I would love to know what you're reading at the moment yeah, I saw your question about in the email, and I was like, oh, I feel like my answer isn't good. But I am <laughs> at the moment. I'm reading. I'm reading Martin Charles LeWitt, which is one of Charles Aww. Dickens' least famous and least yeah. popular books. And the reason I'm reading it is because he loved it. He thought it was his best book, and so I wanted to see why he loved it and why audiences didn't love it. But yeah. I don't know if I would recommend it. Like, that is, <laughs> it's it's very much like a, it's very much like a curiosity thing here, you know? Mm. Like, I'm like, oh, like why? Like why wasn't it popular? That's um, a great
0: answer, Tilly. Why do you yeah. <laughs> need <a great> answer? <laughs> and I, I, I really, this is why I wanted to make this podcast because I know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of literary things out there that are very well. You must be reading this book because it's popular at the moment, or you must be reading this book because it's highbrow. Like if if someone answers, I'm watching Dawson's Creek from start to finish. That's a great answer too. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's no, I really want to normalize any any engagement with literature at any level okay, is a beautiful thing and and um sharing wherever we're at it's sort of I don't know it normalizes all kinds of kinds of ways of engaging mm-hmm. I I didn't read a book for years because I I well having little kids made it a bit tricky but I, I also my brain worked very differently and for the last 15 years and I was like, oh well, that's over for me. I can't voraciously yeah. read anymore, so I can't do it at all. But but I I think it was, yeah, it was Kyle Wilson's book, um, As Beautiful as Any Other. It's, oh, highly recommend. Um, he's on episode one of his podcast. I I just was scrolling through my library app and they've got free audiobooks. I was like, oh yeah. I thought it was someone else's book and so I downloaded it and I was like oh and I was really drawn into your story and I was like oh fuck yeah books yeah I can be a part yeah. of this yeah yeah you can still
1: be a part of it you don't have to like physically read it you can listen
0: to it like, yeah yeah you can great. absorb it in all yeah. sorts of ways it's really yeah. it's a beautiful thing so Charles Dickens ooh, la la, yeah <laughs>
1: Well, that's why I was like, "Fuck! I'm going to sound like such an asshole." That's no, I not like, at, all, not right at
0: all. You know, <laughs> I love that you um, you want to understand his kind of why was this his favorite? It's really really interesting. Um, and do you have like a favorite read of the last twelve months?
1: I actually don't have one favorite read that's okay. I I read a lot. Like. Um, But I do, what I was going to say was like, if you go to my, I, when I read books, I like, I put them up on my Instagram stories and they're all in my highlights on my Instagram. So I have like so many things that I've read this year and loved um, that it's just, yeah, it's not really possible for me to to pick one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, if people want to check out those highlights, what's your Instagram handle? please.
1: Tilly, under, um, Tilly underscore lawless.
0: Great. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I just couldn't remember off the top of my head because my oh, brain, my brain, they're tired. Um, what's next for you? So sort of, you're being a squirrel for a bit and then letting your book marinate. Uh, oh, I've, rid- I've
1: written a second book. Um, it's the third book that's marinating in my head now, but I've written oh, a second book. And right. It's a young adult magical realism novel um, wow. that I love writing. I guess it's kind of like, it's about dysfunctional, like mother-daughter relationships, but like with a bit of sort of like Scottish mythology thrown mm-hmm. in and set in my hometown um, around 2009, 2010. And wow. um yeah, I actually loved writing it, and my friends who've read it have all loved it more than my first book. But um, interestingly, publishers have said no to it because they say it has too much sex and drug taking for teenagers. What? Which I'm have they meditated? <laughs> yeah but like publishers are so conservative Uh, at the end of the day and the other like this for me is like why as a teen I read so much fan fiction and I'm like the reason I read fan mm -hmm. fiction is because why I didn't reflect the kind of life I was living so I've read I've written a book that is actually true to my teenage experience and a lot Mm -hmm. of teenage experiences um but I'm now so the you know, I had the option, my agent was like, okay, you could edit it and the publishers will pick it up. But like, you'll need cool. to censor out this stuff. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to self-publish it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm self-publishing it. It'll be coming out. I've you know I've had to do all like the organizing with editors and shit like that myself it'll be I'll be printing it probably September October next year oh great it myself and I've already had a few bookshops be like oh we'll stock it at the bookstore right. so it's great and um also I feel like really nice to just do something completely for myself and you know it was exciting to have a book come out anyway but to have a book come out where I'll be able to be like I did this by myself you know like obviously yeah. collaborating with people but like not through the thing of a publisher um and also knowing that I haven't you know Know, compromise sort of like my artistic integrity or whatever um oh. is really exciting and I also want to you know it's really important for my writing to be accessible, which is something I couldn't do with my first book because obviously I sold the rights to it to a publisher but with this book, I'm gonna put up a free PDF online so any teenagers oh. or anyone who can't afford to buy a copy can
0: still read it. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. That's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look directly at you. I'm so impressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Tilly Laura, such such a pleasure to chat with you today, and um, really, I just really love what you put out in the world. I'm really, I'm really grateful that you you share so much and that you're so generous with your your talents and. It changes the world. Makes the molecules better. Makes the world it was better. lovely to
1: meet you. Also, I have to say, I love that your hair matches the <laughs> picture behind you. I've been like going on that the whole time. It's like
0: <laughs> I should the do a, a I should do a visual description. I've I've got a bit of a bit of a teeny tiny mohawk at the moment. Um, it was funny at the art launch yesterday. It's the exact same colour as the cover, and there's this big blown up picture of the cover of the magazine behind me when I was MC, and I didn't mean it, um, but. <laughs> It was a really nice dink. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I love yeah. lovely love yeah. writing as well. Thank you. I'll send you a copy when it comes out. It'll be um, yeah, March twenty twenty three. What about? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so nice to meet you. And yeah, you. lovely to meet you. I'm sure I'll see you at
1: something eventually. Like I'm sure we'll cross yeah. paths. Or yeah, paths for or sure. Or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have a good rest of your day. Thank yeah, you, you too. Thanks, Tilly.
0: Big respect and thanks to my guest this time around, Tilly Lawless. Next time on Slow Reader, I'll have a chat with Andy Jackson, author of the poetry collection, Human Looking. Till then, may your poetry consumption be juicy and your senses fulfilled by whatever method you consume your word snacks.